I'm that person my whole life that I just make people laugh and make people happy. That's how I've always, you know, gone by. But I tend to think that people that are so empathetic and caring and compassionate tend to feel the weight of the world. there my name is sean and this is suicide noted on this podcast i talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories every year around the world millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it and when we do talk about it many of us including me aren't very good at it so one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors huge thanks to everyone who has participated and supported this podcast, including all of our attempt survivors and everybody who listens. Thank you. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you would like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And we are talking about suicide on this podcast. So please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you would like to help us out and support this podcast, we'll keep doing what you're doing. Listen, let folks know about it, share it on social media. If you listen on Apple, rating and reviewing helps people find it. And we have a couple ways you can support us financially through our podcast host, Red Circle, and through Patreon. I'll put those links in the show notes. And by the way, if you have a question a comment, or anything else, let us know. Drop us a line via email or on social media. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts, to learn more about you, our listeners, and hear your thoughts, your ideas, your questions. Today, I am talking with Lara. Lara lives down under in Australia, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. You, Lara, are joining me here. Are you a suicide attempt survivor? Yes, I am. Try to end your life? Yeah, a few times, what? quite a few times. Quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we're going to talk and you'll share what you want. But first, thank you for talking. Thank you. Thank you for giving people space to talk. It's, I was really surprised when I found the podcast. You don't get to hear this kind of stuff much and it's nice to relate, to be honest. <laughs> it's an astounding, like, hey, sure, I'll take credit, but like, how is there not more? It really sucks. The only other place that I've found any kind of, I guess, community of like-minded people is Reddit, and Reddit is a little intense. It's kind of just thousands of people screaming into the void, and you can't really. It's a bit. It's a bit too overwhelming. So Lara is. Uh, she's got a lot of tattoos, and she is joining us from a room in which there's a brick wall. I won't say anything more. My question. Well, I have a lot of questions. You know that. Uh Why in the world would you want to join me and actually talk about your your attempts? Because most people wouldn't. There's a few, I don't know, there's a few reasons. I guess selfishly, it's nice to talk about it openly and not have someone cringe and be uncomfortable because that's usually what you're met with is someone being uncomfortable and not wanting to hear it. So Mm -hmm. it's nice that we can be open. I guess I wanted to put it out into the ether and hope that someone out there would relate and also maybe the, the very few people that I would tell that I've done this, like maybe two or three, they are in similar boats to me and that they might then be encouraged to share their story. They might find something cathartic from it. I don't know. 
I wasn't going to at first, but then I listened to enough episodes that I just decided I should probably get in touch. <laughs> and I have a lot to say. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate it. So you won't tell many people that you're doing this? Well, no, no. I, um, I wouldn't want to tell family and not many friends. There aren't many people in life that I could be honest with essentially, which is probably why most people are open to talking to you about this stuff because you are open about talking mm. about it. As much as I'd like to take some like, oh, great for Sean. It's more of like, what is going on that people have such a hard time? But to be honest, I don't think people want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. It makes them uncomfortable. They're just like, no, I'm grateful for everything. I'm positive. It's fine. Everyone has a shit time. It's fine. If everyone was in the same boat, then every single person would be like me and they're not. So I need to be able to talk about it because it's, it's my truth, I guess. All right, so let's go back. You start it where you want your story. It's thought a lot about how to start this or even what to say. And I think I'll just probably condense the start of it just for a little bit of background. So I'm a white person. I live in Australia. My family's European. I had a pretty good childhood, I think, until I got to like 10 and then constant bullying, constant abuse from peers. Had my first relationship, which was really abusive and like I got beaten up. I also had an extremely religious family growing up, which was a massive negative like that affected a lot. So I was going through all this bullying. I was already like getting pretty depressed and I developed eating disorders, I guess, all the things that you would assume. So I'm, I'm modeling, I'm being bullied. I suddenly get hot, which means I got a hair straightener and started to wear makeup. Suddenly I wasn't being bullied. People wanted to be around me so I'm modeling and I'm getting all this attention and most of it is about how I look and my body which just led to my pre-existing depression and stuff getting worse and eating disorders developing so that is probably a really good foundation I'm in my 30s now let me just say that and I started having issues with how I look probably about eight I can remember just crying crying I'm ugly. Everyone's teasing me for having a big nose and curly hair and being weird and liking weird nerdy things that are now cool to like in my 30s. But yeah, I did. I I spent all my time dieting and exercising and trying to to model and, and stuff, but it never, the pain was constantly there. I was diagnosed with uh, depression and body dysmorphic disorder at like 14 I've been mm-hmm. on medication since 16. And yeah, I, I still sort of stayed in that modeling path, like all through my 20s, all through. I've only really recently just stopped like two years ago. People would always be like, you can't be depressed. You're on the internet. You're cute. You're doing magazines. You're, what have you got to be depressed about? It's like, it's not a choice. <laughs> I, I've been feeling shit since I was a child and it's just something that seems to be ingrained in me. So I guess like it all, it all kind of just started when I was really, really young. I don't really ever remember being happy. And then there was all this religious influence. There's a lot of bullying and harassment. My first relationship was highly abusive. So I guess all that stuff just fucked with my brain even more. And maybe any chance I would have had of being a more level-headed person without illnesses, I guess, was stamped out really young. Right. We'll never know. We'll never know if you had lived in a different family or lived in a different city or whatever. Maybe you'd be okay. But yeah. Is it Christianity we're talking about, your family? One parent um, was raised in a very Catholic home and the other was Christian, but together it was just, it's just like, you know, Hillsong, like the Hillsong people, it's just Christians that are like cool Christians that like play guitar and, sure. you know, you know, kind of what I mean. Yeah. yeah, we have that here, but yes. Okay. When I say Hillsong, I think people, there'll probably be someone who knows what I mean. That was going on. That was fucked. There was just the constant, you're going to go to hell. You're mm-hmm. a bad person that still sticks with me now in my thirties, but 
why were you going to hell? Oh, if I, as in if I did anything bad, I was going to hell. If I didn't X, Y, Z, I was going to hell. And like that indoctrination at a really young age is still with me now and probably affects my mental health. You're not going to undo that so quickly, probably. Probably never. It'll always be in the back of my mind. And you've been on meds for 15 years? Is it 15? I don't know. How old do you, 30? 33 this year. So 17 years. Because I started at like 15, 16. Yeah, to deal, to, to help treat your depression, right? Yes. And anxiety. And then after my first relationship, there was post-traumatic stress from being beaten up and bullied so badly. Then I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which strangely you can recover from. And I apparently have. I've done every type of therapy you can think of. And I've been on so many medications in my life. And I'm at the point now in my 30s where I think that it's my brain. It's my chemical makeup. I cannot change it. I can only just make it more stable. I think the earliest time I thought, like, I just want to fucking die. Like, this is stupid. Probably was about 13, 14. But my first attempt wasn't until maybe 22, I think. So when you're 13 or 14, and I know you were saying you were in an abusive relationship, among other (laughs) things that were probably really fucking hard. And I don't, we don't need to get like too, too in the weeds with this. But when you say, uh, because people sort of define ideate differently or just sounds or looks differently for different people. Mm-hmm. When you say like ideating or you're thinking about suicide, I mean, is it sort of a general and ex- sort of existential angst or is it like, no, I am. I think it was both. I think it started to be that kind of angsty, like gothic teenage hormonal right. pain mm-hmm. laced with very real mental illnesses that I had no way to understand. Like I have vivid memories of just being in my room listening to death metal and, and stuff and just being so angry. Because I had all this pain and didn't know where to direct it. But it wasn't until much later that I was like, oh, I can die. I can do that. So it it changed a lot. And I probably didn't really consider it strongly that I can remember until my my early 20s. So I just struggled. I just spent over a decade struggling. I developed bulimia. I was still modeling. I was still just doing my thing. And it just, the bulimia just pushed me over the edge on top of all the mental health stuff. And then, at 22, I had three attempts, a couple of weeks at a time in hospital that I re- barely remember because <laughs> I took so many pills that I lost most of the memories of it. All those three attempts were at 22 and they were all with pills? Oh, sorry. That was the year I turned 22. So one would have been when I was 21. Uh, yeah, they were all um, overdoses with various things, painkillers, sleeping tablets, like anything I could get, mixing it with alcohol. And each time, like each time it didn't work, I was like, okay, so I know what to do next time. Add this or that's only the first few attempts. They get more intense. It sounds like when you were in your early 20s that you had a few attempts. And so that was like the real, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like when I, when I became serious, perhaps? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's different thinking about it and acting on it are two different things. Some medications in Australia, you just can't get you have to try and get prescriptions. I would go to different doctors to try and convince them I needed scripts and go to different pharmacies to try and get those scripts filled. And I'd be sort of stockpiling for a long time. It wouldn't work. And then I sort of wouldn't remember anything for a few days or weeks. And people, I was living with my parents, they would sort of help me piece together what had happened and I'd be remorseful. And then a few weeks later, I was trying to do it again. It was a very, very turbulent year. But was it all strategy? I'm going to tell people I'm okay, so they'll leave me alone so that I can have the space to 
accumulate the pills so I can try again. It was like tactical. Oh, absolutely. After the first attempt, which was had none of that tact behind it, after being in hospital, seeing the process and understanding how hard it actually is to overdose and, and die from it, from what we can get in Australia anyway, I started planning mm-hmm. a lot. And each failed attempt was just so shit. Like at some point I'm conscious and I'm like in a hospital and I'm like, fuck again. And then I have to try and convince everyone I'm okay and go home and go about my business. So when you regain consciousness, as much as you can recall, we're going back some years. I get that. Mm-hmm. Were you legitimately like, fuck? Because most people would think even though you attempted suicide, when you wake up, you'll have a feeling or a sense of relief. I think maybe the first time there was a bit of relief, right. but I was in, I was in hospital for maybe a week. I don't particularly remember like in a mental health ward. I think there was a little bit of relief, but it might, I was, I was pretty out of it. So I don't know if it was genuine, but considering that I then planned so much more, the second time I remember being being there for one to two weeks, I think I just woke up and I was like, fucking really? What has happened? Why am I here? But the system's fucked. They just stick you in a room. They don't let you have your phone. You need to take meds and then we'll send you home. And it's like, cool, I'll just sit here and swallow my pills until you let me go home and I'll try it again. Thank you for your help. <laughs> It sounds like it's similar to here. Maybe the only difference is that we get a big bill. Yeah, it's. I, I feel every story I've heard and the people being charged for it makes me so, it's disgusting because you don't want to be there. You're being held and most of the time you're like, I really just want to go home. I feel shit. Like I just want to be comfortable in my bed and they just treat you like an yeah. idiot and there's just no. Oh, it's bizarre. Yes, it's it's beyond. There's I legitimately don't have words. So how many people in the entire world outside of a nurse or a doctor at any of those facilities know that you attempted suicide? For the most of, I mean, we've only talked about the first three. So the first one, I don't remember doing this, but I apparently sent an email to accidentally everyone I knew because I thought like, that was like my first real attempt. So I was like, you've got to like put a note out. I sent it to everyone. And then a few weeks later realized because people, some people weren't talking to me. So that was awful. So a lot of people know about the first one. As far as all the others go, I would say not very many. Maybe my parents, my siblings, maybe three or four good friends. But that was that was like my first few attempts. I'm saying that because there have been much more serious ones mm-hmm. later on in life. And those maybe one or two people will know. And I've, I've been really good at hiding them and not having to go to hospital because I've, yeah. I've had to plan so carefully to make sure that if, if it doesn't work, if I'm unsuccessful again, I want to at least be comfortable at home. You don't have to go through that shit again. I went maybe seven or eight years not attempting. There was only a few very minor self-harm attempts where I might perhaps cut or something. The reason I never attempted because I had such bad experiences with the healthcare system and the medical system that I knew that even if I wanted help and I was at that point, it would just be bullshit. Like, I wouldn't get a room in a hospital or I'd just be thrown around or thrown in a ward and be treated like crap, which isn't helpful. So I kind of begrudgingly was like, oh, I guess I have to live. Like, I guess I have to try. And to my parents' credit, they've always supported and helped me a lot. And the religious stuff has cooled down. So they're in a place to help me. They're kind of supporting me. I had some okay relationships. I was able to work. You know, jobs have always been really hard for someone like me so I was able to work I sort of had goals I was working towards them and then I went through another really abusive relationship we purchased a house we had to sell the house I kind of had all the things I never thought someone like me could have I'm still modeling through this time I'm still 
dealing with disordered eating, but like I'm working towards my goals. I'm studying to be a personal trainer, working full time in a video game store, which is like, I'm such a nerd. That's the dream. I start working as a personal trainer while doing this job. Like I've got everything sorted. I've got the house, the partner I'm getting by and I'm pushing myself. I don't know how I did it probably because I was so thin and hot (laughs) that every time I modeled, it was just like, it would get me through that, that euphoria. And then I tried to do a fitness comp, which I'm not sure if you know what that is when you do like bodybuilding and you like the girls in bikinis that are super tanned and they have like a nice six pack like that. So I was training for that for a long time. It really fucks with your mental health and hormones, which they don't really tell you when you start. That fell apart maybe three weeks before I was supposed to actually get on stage. And that was so detrimental to my mental and physical health. The partner that I had the house with was extremely abusive and was like doing drugs behind my back and stealing money and cheating on me. And so every every single thing just fell apart, like the body, the fitness stuff, the partner, the house. And I got to like a real rock bottom point, but it didn't escalate and I didn't try again until this really fun thing happened. I guess I got raped by this guy. Like I was super hot and I was dating and some dude just did that. And then I sort of just got by the next six months with all these things falling apart and all this trauma and nothing, I didn't really, like I could feel everything was getting worse and I hadn't been that bad in ages. And then I got diagnosed with complex PTSD, serious illness. It kind of changes the way your brain and body works forever. So I'm like not getting out of this hole and I'm like, how, how am I back here? Like I've worked so hard. I've been living with depression forever. I've maintained so much and everyone thinks I'm fine and great and achieving all these things. And I have to keep that facade up. And then it all crumbled and I was like, okay, I like, I need an out. I just cannot do this. And I spent months (laughs) trying to secure like one of the drugs that you take to euthanize yourself. Um, and I've like, I've planned it all. Like, I don't want anyone to be affected. I've like worked out where all my money will go. I've tried to like make sure my pets will have their lives taken care of. Like I'm really thoroughly planning and I'm, I'm set on it. Are we talking about like last year? What, what are we talking about? This is in 2019. Was there an event, perhaps the assault that sparked the complex PTSD? Do you know? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Cause I've, I mean, I've had, I've been in therapy forever. So I've talked about yeah. this at length. I mean, I had pre-existing mental health conditions that are considered chronic. So, I mean, technically I'm considered disabled. It's hard to say because I look, I'm physically able, but mentally I'm definitely not. So yeah, all these things compounded, like the body stuff, the fitness stuff, the job, the house, the partner. I was also going through harassment at work. And then the assault, it just like fucked everything up mm-hmm. but with PTSD and complex PTSD it can take six months to a year for it to really like hit you so I seemed fine for six to eight months and then right before my 30th birthday I was like yep yeah, I'm not even gonna get to 30 like it's gonna come right before I hit 30 I'd planned it all I'd paid thousands of dollars that I didn't have to get it and it ended up all being a scam so just to be clear you paid the money to get the drug that would kill you mm-hmm. and you got fucked someone scammed you yeah There are people, lots of people overseas in various places that will very gladly convince you that they have it and and that they have like elaborate websites, tracking information, all this stuff. Like I really believed, I really believed it was real. Um, Let me guess though, you beat the shit out of yourself for getting scammed, which didn't help. I think maybe two people know. It is, oh, sorry. 
we will tell people some of our like darkest stuff, but something like that, we don't tell anybody. When I actually, because I, I was like, no way. Like basically my parents found out because we had a joint loan account. They basically saw all this money disappear and they never checked it. So it was just, just mm-hmm. by luck that they saw it. And they were like, rang me and they're like, what the hell? Like someone's robbed you. And then I had no way out. Like I tried to make up stuff. Stuff and I, I kept thinking the drug was coming, so I just had to hold them off long enough, distract them so that like, it could come and then it would be fine. But yeah, they basically were like, What the hell? And I they basically forced me to I had to give them an answer or they were gonna go to the police because they're like, Someone's robbed you. <laughs> so I then had to tell them, mm. and that was one of the worst days of my life because I then I also realized it wasn't coming and I had to now live with what I'd fallen for. So you made it, so they knew that what, what the purpose of the drug is, the function of the drug? Because I wouldn't tell them. They're like, we're going to the police. I was like, no, because <laughs> then I'd have to deal with the police. If the police discovered that I was trying to end my life, where am I going? They're throwing uh-huh. me in in a ward or in jail or something. And what I'm trying to get is illegal. So I don't want the police involved. Sure. <laughs> so I was kind of cornered. I had to tell them. I had to tell them. And yeah, I just broke down and told them everything. And they, one of my parents, well, I don't want to talk about my parents much because I do love them and they're great, but there's been a lot of bad stuff growing up. But one of them was, you know, quite abusive and violent and they can flip and they flipped when they heard this because obviously it's quite shocking and they were like we're getting the police to take you to hospital we don't give a shit like you're going Mm. don't argue Mm. with us I was like I'm telling you the worst thing in the world please please just let me be at home like if you need to stay with me stay with me I don't care if you want to monitor me but do not put me in Mm. hospital Mm. do not do that to me right now so I managed to convince them but I had to stay with them for like a week yeah so very low point and I've never heard anyone on this podcast say that but I, I guarantee someone's got to be so many people that have been through this and just can't talk about it because people are like of course it was fake of course you're an idiot of course it wasn't real but I really believed they really believed like made me yeah. believe it. and when you're desperate taking advantage of desperate people not only that when you're desperate and these are elaborate schemes man That's... months of planning and talking yeah. and they're not fucking stupid they know what they're doing they know your fucking weak spots they know you're vulnerable they know everything they need to know to scam you these are not these are smart fucking people who are doing malicious things being a depressed person who's i feel like i'm a realist i see the reality of life like the world's a horrible place people are fucked and everyone no people are generally good no they're fucking not okay people are greedy humans are shit right Right. People out there that are greedy and corrupt, of course, they, they don't care that some some mm. white person, they're like, they're probably, firstly, they're probably like, she's white, so fuck her. And that's fair. Wait, wait she's white? Yeah, well, because th- to do this stuff, there's usually video calls and things involved. So like, and I think people that perhaps are not white because they've been so badly treated. Oh, they're by like, white fuck people. the man, fuck the power. Yeah. So I feel like stupid white people like me that are apparently so lucky, but are really unwell. So they're like, they don't right. feel guilty. I don't know. They just don't feel. Who knows? Guilty. I mean, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't know. But, but you might be right. Like, yeah. Fuck you, white people. You had it good for a long time, and go fuck yourselves, and whatever. And you have money. Well, to- yeah, and I don't, I don't blame them for for doing that to white people because fuck white people. But anyway, that's a whole other story. I live in Australia, so we're obviously whole countries built on that. <laughs> you have a lot of white people in Australia. Yeah, because we came here and killed all the indigenous people and fucked them up. So that's what we did. Right. Oh, that's, that's how we exist. So, all right. So there's some things in common. 
between the two countries. You are uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, of course. I'm in the Northern Hemisphere for what it's worth. That makes no difference to our conversation. So when you get through that, I'm not suggesting you're sort of through it, but you're still alive. I'm talking to you. So I know that something happened in the last two, three years where, like, yeah, what happened after that? Uh, I spent sort of months trying to rebuild because we don't have access to guns in Australia. It is extremely, extremely hard to get them. They're just not available. So I was like, maybe I could hang myself. I have a rope. I tied a noose. And then I was like, I'm just freaked out. What if it doesn't work or I screw it up and the logistics is hard because you're trying to work out where you can go and I don't want to traumatize other people so that kind of never I never really tried that the gums are out overdosing is pretty difficult to do I obviously can't get a drug that will end it peacefully so I just I'm like like I guess I have to try and make the best like I was in a good place for a while I was coping with all this shit so how do I get back there I don't know how I did it I just got a really good job I started working heaps I found myself a really nice partner. I'm still with now that sort of positive relationship. I hadn't really had a good relationship. Most of my exes were quite abusive and I'd always dated, like I'd always had a partner. So I spent, you know, a good amount of time being single. And then I met this nice guy and got a good job. And I was just kind of generally doing okay. But knowing that there wasn't really a way out, if you know what I mean. Like I I had no option basically, unless I maybe harm other people or do something that might be excruciating. Like I'm, I'm afraid of it being excruciating. Does that make sense? Mm. So I'm like, I can't really like, I'm scared to, to hang myself and fuck it up. I can't really get a gun and I don't want to do something with my car because I might harm someone else and that is not okay or paralyze myself. So that would be right. worse. So yeah, basically I'm like, these are my options. I need to carry on. So I'm working through it. And then that's when I got the like official diagnosis of, of CPTSD, which I thought was there. Different types of therapy began. This was in 2020. And different medications, I had to change, or I was, it was suggested that I change medications. Bad move. I was reasonably stable and that kind of messed it all up. And then my my housemate became, I was living in a bit of domestic violence and that just skyrocketed everything again. Like I just, I've never really had my feet in a stable place for long. I've never. When you say housemate, that's maybe a word we don't use here. Did you mean, you mean your partner? Oh, no, 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 not my partner. No, no, no. Someone, so someone I was living with, just the person I was living with. So that started to happen and that was, I was really in denial about that, but everything kept getting worse and worse. So I sort of, I thought had to find a way out of there, managed to move with my partner. So now I live with him, managed to do that. And then medication change just kind of threw everything off. Things got really bad for a few months. And then I had another attempt in 2020, something I hadn't tried before. And again, maybe like three people know one of them, my partner, because unfortunately he he was there and I tried to hide it, but I could only hide it for so long. So I tried to overdose, which I don't remember, but I was obviously in a very bad place. And then because you kind of have a lot of memory loss, I then the next day I was just out of it. Like I don't remember pretty much anything. My partner knew something was wrong. So he was like, let's watch movies. Let's like, he, he was just trying to take care of me. I went into the bathroom and got a razor and tried to cut my femoral artery in my leg my groin Mm. which I don't remember doing luckily because it was severe I managed to clean everything up I don't remember any of this and hide it for a few hours you cut it you start bleeding and I didn't hit the artery all right because you hit the artery you might be dead yeah start to just like mend the wound I why I I don't remember much of anything I think I just like stuffed a bunch of wet like towels in my pants somehow and they were like baggy pants I'm pretty sure it was cold so I would have been wearing a lot 
and I don't really remember much of anything, but my partner tells me that I'm just, I'm just like a zombie, like I'm barely speaking. He doesn't know what's going on. He's really worried, lifeless in the eyes, and he's like, what is happening? Like, what is she on? He just knew he had to stay with me, and then apparently I just like stood up and took my pants off, and there was just, he said, there was just blood everywhere and very severe wounds, mm. and he says he just took me straight to hospital and I got stitches. So he took me in and I don't remember much of anything, but then I had horrific wounds and stitches to take care of. What does he say or do? I know he takes you to the hospital. Is he none the wiser? Is he not on to what's going on? No, he, I think he real. he knew, he, he knew about the mental health struggles and he knew that it wasn't my fault. Like I, and I was, I always try, like I'm generally a pretty bubbly, fun person to be around, but he obviously sees all the pain I'm in all the time. And he knows I'm trying, but he probably didn't expect that to happen. And he just wanted me to be okay. So I don't remember. He said that he just cried and then he took me there, but I don't remember. And he's never cried in all the time we've been together. So he says, mm. good thing you don't remember that because I was crying. And I'm like, oh, sorry. I feel a lot of guilt about that too, that he had to pick up the pieces and help me. I just don't want to put anyone in that position on purpose. I don't remember doing it, but I was annoyed that it didn't work. And then I had to go from there and pick up everything again. And it's just very frustrating. Was that before COVID? No, COVID had started. So it was the end of 2020. You had said at various points that you were real. Like, it sounds like you've been struggling for many years, but certain periods of time, especially difficult. When that's like yeah, that yeah. for you, are you able to, like, are you, when you say that, are you bedridden, fetal position type, or are you out there doing your thing? Or you like, what does it look like? Am I high functioning? Basically, I, I right. have been um, on on the meds I was on in my twenties. I managed to be, but also my diagnosis is now like the CPTSD is only what two years old. That's right. changed everything. So yeah, on a bad day, I can go what I call catatonic. I can barely move sometimes. Can barely yeah. speak, but I'm also <laughs> quite compulsive and obsessive about cleanliness. I have a few pets, and I'm germ paranoid so I will I might stay in bed for like six hours then I'll get up clean the whole house everything everything's always has to be spotless make sure the animals are cared for cook food for my partner and then I might just crumble again and then I kind of rinse and repeat you're not modeling anymore no no um trauma also can make your because it makes your body and brain change all my hormones are messed up from that and from the fitness stuff so I have gained a lot of weight which is really tricky for me I'm actually looking looking to try and get liposuction because I can't, I'm not mentally coping how I am. And I've been trying. Right. I mean, you had said at some point in your life, and I don't know how this really works. Uh, you were bulimic. <laughs> I might sound like a complete asshole here or an idiot, but somebody who has bulimia and then you gain a lot of weight. It's gotta be difficult. Yeah. Well, I was really like really thin and tall most of my teenage years. And, and I definitely would have had disordered eating. Then I did all sorts of fucked up things to stay thin as a teenager, which wouldn't have helped my body of hormones now. Plus, hit 30 everyone says it gets downhill a little bit and certainly like I've always always been super conscious of how I look it's always affected me right I mean I used to model all the time and when I stopped that it was almost like a relief like I, oh man I can just like enjoy food now but then you gain you gain weight and don't look the way you used to and you're already mentally struggling it can be it's a real trigger for me basically so Lara you are 32 you have heard the podcast, so you know the questions that I tend to ask. And one of them is, are you going to make 33, 34, 35? I couldn't tell you. I feel like I have so much on my on my plate every day. I have so much in my head. I'm always fighting. And the longer it goes on, the harder it gets. And right. like I said, newer, more complex diagnosis makes it worse. 
So I, I can't tell you. I mean, I'd like to say I can get all the things I want in life, but pretty much the only thing that I care about at the moment is having surgery. So I might perhaps want to leave the house and feel like I'm attractive. And that is very difficult in itself. So I can't tell you. I can't tell you. You don't leave the house? Oh, no, like I do. I work and I, I do stuff, but I like I, I don't have the capacity to do what I did in my 20s. I can't work full time. I'm considered disabled I receive help from disability agencies because of how severe and real my struggles are and it's taken me years to get help lots of reports from different medical professionals what's your work these days so actually work with animals which is awesome because I fucking hate people and I hate customers and I hate wow. dealing with people so while people. it's really physically difficult <laughs> and awesome none of them talk shit they're all just cool people kind of suck I, I really, I don't want to, I don't wish harm on anyone, but I fucking hate people. Right, right. I get that. Like, it's not necessarily a particular person, but generally speaking, awful. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so we've kind of touched on this. How many people do you have in your life if you're having a really shitty day, which might include thinking of ending your life or ideating or just whatever, whatever it might be that you can talk to? Probably, I would say four my dad is my biggest source of comfort. He has always been like the rock in my life. I don't mean the rock, that guy, the famous guy. I mean a <laughs> metaphorical rock, right. not Dwayne, whatever his Johnson, name is. Johnson, I believe is his name. Just to be really clear so our audience understands, <laughs> your father is not Dwayne the Rock Johnson. No, not that guy. Yeah, so my dad, my dad's pretty cool and I do try to talk to him a lot, but he, it's like I'm a, I'm a burden to him. And that's, that's me saying it, not him. He has right. a lot on his plate and a lot to do. And he works so much and also takes care of his mother. So I try not to put it on him. I yeah. have a few really good friends I've had for most of my life that I could probably go to, but I find it hard because they have children, they have things. So I don't like to burden them. And I also don't like to burden my partner. I just want, not that he's a saint or anything because he's not, but you know, I don't want him to have to think about that all the time every day. So I do try and mask a lot of it. So it's essentially, I probably wouldn't, if I really had to go to someone, it would probably be my dad and maybe one of my girlfriends, but that's only because she doesn't have children and she's feels similarly to me. So I feel like I'm not as much of a burden to her. But yeah, general I gen generally keep it to myself unless I'm unless someone notices, which right. I have to be pretty bad for them to notice. Yeah. You're probably good at faking it. Oh, totally. Absolutely. I'm that person my whole life that I just make people laugh and make people happy. That's how I've always you know, gone by. But I tend to think that people that are so empathetic and caring and compassionate tend to feel the weight of the world. I think I'm one of those people. <laughs> it's a blessing to be able to help people and have people come to you and, and want to talk to you and know that you'll understand and never judge. But it's a fucking curse to feel the pain of everything and everyone all the time. Yeah. Probably doesn't. <laughs> so yeah, maybe four people, depending on the day, depending on what they've got going on. And and just to be clear, that's not Dwayne Johnson. No. I wonder what would happen if I tried to contact him, though. Right. Not that it would... I mean, you could message him, but I, I don't know what would happen there. Probably nothing. No. Hey, um, Mr. Dwayne, sir. So no. I'm just some person, but I'm really depressed. Do you want to help right. you with your millions? You never know. Um, what does help, if anything? My pets are pretty cool. I try to like I try to give them the best life possible. So hanging out with them could be good. Um, I have I have like some nieces and a nephew that are pretty cool. So that can be good just to be like the fun yeah. aunt. Yeah, no drinking or no, drinking. 
no drugging, um, drinking occasionally, like, yeah, a lot of good wine or a beer sure. or a seltzer or something. Sometimes that just, just having a drink with my partner and watching a movie or having a laugh will get me through. But generally it's just the distraction. The pain is, is like always there. Always there. Always. Yeah. The, ha- the happiness is temporary. So if yeah. you want to ask me that myth question, people do not fucking choose to be depressed. I would give so much to just have this constant dread gone. I don't expect happiness. I don't think people are generally can be like happy all the time, but the absence of pain is not something that I know. And it is not a fucking choice. I tell you that I do not want it. I was born like this and I do not want it. All right. So the myth is it's not a choice. Yeah. People, you just have to choose to be happy and be grateful. I am grateful. I have heaps. I'm also always in pain. It's not one or the other. Right. Also that if you just positive things will be fine. Fuck toxic positivity. I don't want to hear it. Just be grateful. No. Almost anything that comes after the word just, I ignore. Yeah. I remember hearing you say that once and I out loud was like, yes. I'm pretty selective with my conversations these days too because people do tend to speak like that and I don't have space for it. I just can't. I just, I just can't. What would a conversation that doesn't suck sound like? Sean probably like this one. Okay. It's fair. Just two people sharing ideas. There's no judgment. There's no correcting or suggesting or trying to give advice it's just two people talking and saying this is a thing this is a fact what what happened how did you feel and then processing that like that that's a I think that's a good conversation or a really good thing I think to say and that people tend to respond well to if they are in similar boats from what I've seen is a simple that must be really hard for you I'm not sure what to say but here to listen like that's Sometimes that's all you can do, but it's so helpful, I think. Apparently that's like advanced communicating. It doesn't seem particularly, it's shocking that that's so hard for people, but it really seems to be. Absolutely is because people don't want to think past their own world and their own views. It's too much for this. You just have to work hard. You just have to do the grind. You just have to fit into the cogs of this capitalist society and be one of the perfect pieces or you're not contributing. Like that's, I, I think that's what, how most people seem to get by. But someone like me who rejects all of that is going to have a hard time all the time. Given that you grew up in a religious household, does, does anyone throw, does anyone hang the like heaven hell thing over you? Oh, not anymore because I've made it clear that that's a boundary for me. And if it does come up occasionally, I'm not comfortable with this and you know that I'm not. So if I'm talking to you, that's not, that's off the table. I've, I've literally been given a magazine clipping from some fucking preacher lady saying how God can help with suicidal thoughts. I threw that shit in the bin and I fucking, oh, I was so angry. <laughs> Who gives you that? Apparently certain people do in the in your community that you grew up in. I don't know. Yeah, they're out there. <laughs> does that? Are you depressed? Here's a pamphlet about Jesus and how he can help. Are you right. serious? I'm in pain. Yeah. One thing is around the heaven health thing where it's a boundary and you're like, just don't go there. I'm essentially, we're is, are there other things as it's relevant to our conversation here where it's just like, don't. Yeah, I, I think it's really inappropriate to tell people that suicide is selfish because for someone to say that, I don't think that they can ever understand what it feels like and how hard it is yeah. to make that, that decision and think that you're going to leave people that you love, from my experience anyway and from a lot of what I've heard. Most people who are trying to end their lives genuinely think that they are a burden to everyone around them and it's not out of selfishness. It's one I think wanting the pain to stop and also not wanting to constantly see disappointment and frustration, everyone around you all the time. 
I don't think that's selfish. I think that's just wanting to not have to deal with other people suffering because of you, maybe. For sure. You watch Ted Lasso? It's one of these things where there's a conversation about suicide. All you get to hear is the main character's dad killed himself. And he says about his father, he quit. Now, these are all fictionalized characters. It's a fucking sitcom. It's a, it's a yeah. drama. It's, a, it's not real. So writers write this. And I'm thinking, yeah. that's interesting. So the only thing we get to hear about someone who ended their life. They quit. They quit and that's it. And it's like, and this is considered a rather progressive, really well-written drama. I don't know if it's a drama. Or there you go. That, and people don't even think about it or question. I'm like, you see, do you see, do you see? This is why it's just, not that they struggled harder than you've ever fucking struggled with anything in your life until they couldn't anymore. That wasn't the fucking narrative. Like I remember being really young and hearing about sort of even the concept of suicide being introduced to me. And I just wanted to know about it. I was like, oh my God, I think I don't want to be here. How, how do people do this? How do they, there's like nothing, even now. People won't talk about it because you might encourage someone else or we don't talk about that because they 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 quit, they chose to leave. Like it's right. the conversations around it are so warped even now right. that wow. a TV show is gonna say like some dude's gonna be like, My dad quit. Like, but what was what was the essence of your dad's life? Was he in pain all the time? Didn't come up. People who have chronic illnesses that impact their entire lives, whether mental or physical. Like there's no, there's no program to assess them over years, see how they're going, maybe give them that decision to peacefully end their life. So that the people like me don't always have to resort to these horrific mean means that are humiliating and embarrassing and painful and confusing yeah. and actually really hard, really, really hard to do in a country where we don't have access to a gun. So there's just no system for people like us and they just keep cutting, you know, healthcare and mental health care. So that people like me are just more and more estranged from society. It's very um they're doing that here too. Oh, I know America's I know the healthcare in America's awful. I know and that we, and we we could get guns rather easily here. So you can imagine that combination. Yeah. The most recent one was the one in 2020, or was there a more recent one? There's a more recent one. Was that around the same time you put the word suicide in a Apple or Spotify and see to see what was out there? No, actually, um after after finding your podcast. I did that because Reddit was Reddit was too much and I felt I just wanted to help everyone and make people feel heard and you just it's just too much of a pit of hell on Reddit. I just couldn't. <laughs> I think the obvious final question I have, of all the tattoos that you have on your arms, <laughs> legs and elsewhere, do you have a favourite? I don't really want to describe them because they, they can be known, but I have um, my whole butt is tattooed. I quite like that. Very painful though. I bet. Um, before we say goodbye... What else would you like to share? Just thank you for being flexible and finding some time to talk to me. I feel like this is super cliche, but just to anyone listening that feels this way or maybe is in the same boat and they just their life has just been insane that they're not alone. Probably all I've got for you, Sean. But thank you so much for, for the chat and for being open. I mean, if this provides comfort to anyone, I'm so happy and please take the comfort because you probably need it. There will definitely be people who hear this and find some comfort in it. So I hope you watch, you know, yeah, for sure. Here's one person who's like so, so loud and so like I could sit and talk to anyone and I could never just sit with like my boyfriend's friends and be like, hey guys, so this is, I'm disabled. These are my issues. I've been in hospital. I have real conditions. I like, you can't, just can't tell people. I couldn't tell people. I have to hide it still oh, so much. Yeah, yeah. Imagine millions of people. They're probably hiding it too. 
and so many more hiding all sorts of shit for understandable reasons, but we just hide stuff. And then- I wish I had an amazing reveal right now. Like I'd be like, actually, Sean, and I could peel <laughs> off my skin and it was just something else. Like that was an alien. I don't know, an, an animal, an right. alien, just sure. any kind of reveal that would shock you. I wish I could Surprise just. is very important, but I don't think we have one here. Unless you rip your face off. And I don't want you to do that. You have presented <laughs> who you are. And um, I think as much as you want the reveal, we want authentic you. Yeah, fuck, I'm too authentic, I think. So I think that helps people that hear it. I don't know. This, but enough people reach out to me and let me know. Hey, thank you for um, this person or that person or having the podcast. They want to hear truth. That's what they want. There was a guy who was just like, so my parents had sex and I'm just fucking here. Like, Max, you, yep, Max from Ohio. I, for everyone you've spoken about, I, uh, you've spoken to, sorry, I've related to him. So like, it, he was just like, fucking what? Like, actually, why? Like, I didn't consent to this. <laughs> he did not like filter. That. No censor, no filter. He's just like, this yep. is bullshit. I felt that in my fucking bones. I was like, Max, fuck this. I feel you. Yeah. Oh, shit. Thank you, Sean. Um, have a good night. Get a good you sleep. Too. Take care. Thank Bye. You. Thanks again. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Lara in Australia. Thank you, Lara. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And stay tuned. We are working on a couple of projects. We will share more information about them soon but they may be things you want to participate in that is all for episode number 100 wow 100 episodes hmm stay strong do the best you can i'll talk to you soon